Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, along with my producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming from downtown East Wenatchee, Washington today. Beautiful, sunny day. And today we have Dr. Diana Garnitha back. She has been on our podcast before, and she is a rheumatologist and specializes in autoimmune disease, and that's what she's going to be talking about today. Um, autoimmune disease, you guys have probably heard about that. Um, how can it affect your cardiovascular disease? your cardiovascular health, your heart health, if it goes untreated. And also, if we have time in this quick half hour, we are going to discuss NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, like ibuprofen, like naproxen. Many patients take them. Um, how do they affect your cardiac health long-term? So, um, Diana, welcome back to our show. Sean, it's such a pleasure for me to be back on your show. I think it's a valuable resource for, for patients, and I, I want to thank you, and I, I'm going to tell you how honored I am to be back. Well, thank you, Dr. Garnita. I really appreciate it. And if you don't mind, um, to the people that have not met you before, our listeners and viewers, could you give yourself a quick introduction so they know who um, is talking? Yes, definitely. So my name is Diana Garnita. I'm a rheumatologist. I've um, uh, done um, in my uh, whole career a lot of teaching um, and as well as uh, clinical, um, I have a, an extensive clinical experience. I also have a background in cardiology and uh, a PhD in immunology. And I'm very fascinated by your topic, which is the cardiovascular impact in, um, in uh, our autoimmune diseases. I have started a company uh, which is probably the first and the only telemedicine company for rheumatology to broaden the access of patients to, to this uh, specialty. And um, I do offer them a very um, uh, individualized approach where I combine everything that I know from evidence-based medicine to um, integrative medicine. And what is the name of your company, Dr. Garnita? The name of the company is called Rheumatologist On Call, and I practice in six states, which are California, Arizona, Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, and uh, very soon in Texas. Awesome. I love it. So who better qualified than a rheumatologist who has a background in cardiology to talk about autoimmune disease and how it affects the cardiovascular system if, it, if it's left untreated? So why don't we go ahead and dive into that topic? Great. I'm happy to answer your questions. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, let's just define what is autoimmune disease. I mean, I think we hear the term a lot. Maybe some people aren't familiar with it. And I would love an update and your definition of what uh, autoimmune disease means. And definitely. So autoimmune diseases are um, diseases that are triggered by our own immune system directed towards our own body. So when our body is encountering something foreign, the, the immune system starts to respond to that. And sometimes this response is exaggerated. It doesn't stop when it's supposed to stop. And that will lead further on to what we call autoimmune diseases. So auto means ourself, immune, triggered by the immune system. And um, there is a wide there is a wide variety of autoimmune diseases, not only in rheumatology, but they can span into neurology or gastroenterology. So today I'm going to talk primarily uh, about autoimmune diseases that we treat, such as rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or scleroderma 
or vasculitis. Those are diseases that we know that they have a huge connection with our hearts. Okay, so let's go ahead and dive into those. So um, probably is, is the, the biggest one that you see is that rheumatoid arthritis? Yes, probably the most common diagnosis that we treat is still rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and, um, you know, when we talk about uh, autoimmune diseases, we talk about, um, um, you know, diseases that will affect multiple organs. That's happening in rheumatoid arthritis as well. Many patients, they do come to the physicians to be evaluated for their joints. But when they come to us, we do explain to them that rheumatoid arthritis is a systemic disease that not only affects the joints, that's the, the trigger that will bring the patient to the doctor, but also rheumatoid arthritis will affect other organs such as eyes or the heart or the lungs and sometimes the kidneys. And um, that's why we have to emphasize the importance of treating these patients early and aggressively to stop the disease because otherwise they will end up with other complications. So give us an example of how autoimmune disease, what you see in a patient if autoimmune disease has been left untreated and then what kind of cardiovascular problems do you see? Definitely. So when we think about cardiovascular disease, we usually think about the most common risk factors. We think about diabetes, uh, or we think about uh, hypertension. We think about obesity, or we think about metabolic system or syndrome, metabolic syndrome. But in fact, um, uh, the cardiovascular risk um, can be rheumatoid arthritis itself. So I try to explain my patients that if they leave this disease in particular untreated, their risk for cardiovascular disease in 10 years or 20 years doubles, if not triples. And I'll give you examples. So for example, if you are diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in your 20s, and you don't care about what's going to happen with your joints, if you're going to develop deformities or not in 10 years, you should care about the fact that your risk to develop a myocardial infarction is two times or three times more than the general population. And after we adjust for the traditional factors of risk factors for cardiovascular diseases. And you should care about the fact that your risk to develop a stroke is sometimes 1.5 to two times higher than the normal population with the same risk factors for cardiovascular diseases. Wow, I, I had no idea, honestly. And I'm assuming, I'm thinking about one of the common threads here is probably inflammation. Is that correct? Yes. That is very correct. I'm going to try to explain to you a little bit what chronic inflammation um, can do to our body. So for a long time, we thought that immune system and the cardiovascular system has, are not connected. In reality, they're very well connected. The chronic inflammation can, cause, uh, can be caused by small injuries to our vessels. And um, uh, the chronic inflammation itself can have an impact on our vessels if it's left untreated. 
And what's happening in the chronic inflammation, our immune system is, is triggered on and on and on. And um, a lot of these cells like macrophages or T lymphocytes, they come there to that spot and they start releasing these molecules that are producing inflammation like TNF-alpha or interferon gamma. All of these are substances that will trigger inflammation. And this, in return, they do cause other cells to come and deposit substances there that will cause further injury to our vessels. And in the end, we will develop the atherosclerotic plaques. You all know about the C-reactive protein, right? The C-reactive mm -hmm. protein, which is a protein produced by our uh, liver in response to an inflammatory response, is triggering as a consequence, other molecules like IL-6, which is another pro-inflammatory cytokine, it's another molecule that is causing inflammation, and that will cause an increase in the cardiovascular risk. So in time, people started to use high-sensitivity C-reactive protein to estimate the increased cardiovascular risk. I see. And so... C-reactive protein is a way to monitor inflammation, which can also monitor how well the rheumatoid arthritis is being controlled and possibly your risk of um, MI or cardiovascular accident. Is that correct? Yes, we do monitor the C-reactive protein and the sedimentation rate. Those are the two most common markers of inflammation that we monitor in people with rheumatoid arthritis. They can tell us if the patient has ongoing inflammation. Sometimes they're not completely accurate, but it's a good tool for us to match the symptoms of the patient with the levels of inflammation in their body. And we use both because they vary um, from, um, in, in some conditions, sed rate or sedimentation rate can be high, but the C-reactive protein can be low. And in other situations, the other one can be high and um, the sedimentation rate uh, could be low. So we pay attention to those two in regards to monitoring the disease activity in rheumatoid arthritis. I see. So how would somebody know? You mentioned in their 20s, some people might be diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. So some people might not know that they have an autoimmune disease and they basically are walking around with an autoimmune disease and they're basically putting themselves at risk for a greater risk for a heart attack. So what do you recommend for um, people to make sure that they, they don't have an autoimmune disease? Would they know that they, because they have symptoms or should they go to a specialist or a primary care doctor to get checked first? What would, what would you recommend? I think symptoms will trigger the checkup with the physician. If a, if a patient feels well, they will not come to the physician. But usually autoimmune diseases will cause symptoms to these patients. And the most common symptoms that I see are extreme fatigue. That's very common in our patients with autoimmune diseases. Um, I do see rashes, all kinds of rashes, especially in patients with lupus. And then I see joint pain or muscle pain. Sometimes they have fever, unexplained fever. They don't have an infection, but it's an ongoing um, low-grade fever that they notice. And that could be a sign of autoimmunity. And um, um, other time, joint pain. 
you know, people with rheumatoid arthritis, that's what they come to the rheumatologist. First, they see uh, their primary care physician, and I encourage them to see the primary care physician and report those symptoms. The other thing that I tell patients, it's extremely important to keep a diary of their symptoms because when they go and meet their doctor, sometimes the time is short, um, they, they try to address too many things, and the doctor needs a snapshot of what's going on in the last mm -hmm. couple of weeks or the last couple of months. So if you go to a visit and you are very well prepared and you lay out the symptoms in a very organized way, the doctor will have a better chance to catch what you have or what you have experienced. And the other thing is that sometimes you go to the doctor and that's the best day for you and you might forget about the other symptoms that you had two weeks ago. Right, that makes sense. So back on the topic of inflammation, I, one of the goals of treating RA or autoimmune disease is to decrease inflammation. And yeah. so how, how, how do we do that? I, there's a, obviously we could do drugs and we're going to talk about NSAIDs a little bit later. I don't know if that's a, you know, I know being a pharmacist, I know that that is a treatment, but I don't know if that's always the best thing to move forward because they are anti-inflammatory, but they also, so they also come with some risks. So what are some ways that you talk to your patients about decreasing inflammation? So I, I love this question because I always try to address with the patient what they can do uh, in their, what they can change in their lifestyle to uh, make inflammation less. One of the strongest discussion that I have is related diet. Diet is extremely important and we can go on and on and on about the anti-inflammatory diet. The other important thing is I emphasize the importance of sleep. Good sleep means good health. Um, the other important aspect of their lifestyle is stress management. Unfortunately, a lot of stress that we put on us, it's gonna translate into a lot of inflammation. And uh, the other thing is exercise. I do, I do reinforce the need of pursuing some sort of exercise that will be fitted for um, their well-being. If they cannot do um, a lot of exercise, at least they can walk, at least they can swim. So they can start with something that makes them feel comfortable, not overdoing things, but they can pursue, they should pursue that. And the reason is that all of these interventions will help them be less overweight or obese because obesity um, could trigger in return, a lot of inflammation. You probably know that our adipose cells, they do produce a substance called leptin, and that will mm -hmm. trigger another inflammatory, uh, inflammatory response or that could maintain that inflammation into, into our body. And it's very interesting that I read a few studies, very, very nicely done studies, that actually the fat that we have inside of our body, around our organs, that that is the fat that causes much more inflammation than the fat that we see. So uh, the fact that uh, we have uh, just a, a sub-Q fat, you know, that produces inflammation, but the fat that we have inside our body, around our organs, that produces much more inflammation. So I'm, I'm a strong believer in lifestyle intervention and integrative medicine as part of the treatment before we move on to medication. 
And as you said, we don't know if it's the right or wrong way to do medication in the beginning because sometimes it's needed, but sometimes you can wait a little bit until the patient kind of stabilizes their lifestyle uh, because any medication that we take, it's going to come with a trade-off, right? You know best that. That's correct. Now, so going back on the fat inside our bodies instead of outside our bodies, um, that's also called visceral fat, right? Correct. Right. And I love this topic. There's a few ways to get rid of visceral fat. Well, I mean, there's more than a few ways, but when I think of it, I think of uh, we had uh, Dr. Sean Amara on our podcast last year, and he talked about fasting and the importance of fasting and how fasting can help get rid of visceral fat, but just maintaining lean body mass and, and a healthy body weight in general will help get rid of visceral fat, correct? That's very correct. Actually, intermittent fasting is coming back. And um, in the last year, there was uh, an article published in New England Journal of Medicine about the benefits of intermittent fasting in our um, general general health. So um, I think that we forgot about those uh, principles of life, but they were there for many generations. Uh, our um, uh, grandparents used to fast uh, certain <laughs> times of the year, and that's why they live a, a probably a healthier life and a longer life. Right. I, I tell you, Dr. Garnita, I love having you on our show because you, you just you just preach to the choir. You you everything you say about sleep and diet, and that's what we talk about in this show um, all the time. Is that you know um, people can be in charge of their own health, and a lot of times it's lifestyle changes that can that are the make the biggest effect. So I appreciate I appreciate you educating our listeners and viewers on that topic. And on intermittent fasting, I mean, one thing I tell um, patients um, or just people in general is. You know, when you think about evolutionarily speaking, if you think about what we did generations and generations ago, we were hunters and gatherers. And there were times where we were only hunters because in the middle of the winter, you didn't have anything to gather. You might have had some stored stuff possibly, but let's just say you were, you were mainly a hunter. And there were some um, cultures that that's all they did was hunt because they didn't really have a lot of fruits and vegetables because they didn't have a long growing season. So... And you think about what they did when we talk about fasting. They would go on a big hunt and they would, you know, the whole village would get together and they would eat whatever they hunted. And they might not eat for two or three days after that. And that's how they fasted. And so, unfortunately, in America, most of us have almost an unlimited food supply. You know, when we go home at night, we have a pantry, freezer, and fridge full of food and we can literally eat all night long. And that's one of the problems is that, you know, we have, and not only is it processed foods, which creates more inflammation, but also it's just, uh, you know, we have an unlimited amount. And so we are good at storing. I mean, we're, we're taught how to, our bodies are taught how to store food and that gets stored as fat. So you have any comments on that? I do actually. And I'm, um, I love the fact that you pointed that. In the United States, that's true. We have unlimited supplies of food, and everywhere you go, you're going to have something. If you go to a doctor uh, or if you go to the dentist, you find there a bowl of candies or wherever you go, you find something to snack on. I will tell you something that you uh, it's going to make you laugh. 
Before I came to United States, I had no idea what snacks are. What's this idea of snacking, you know? Um, that stroked me because when I started to practice here and I was reading for the, you know, reading certain uh, magazines, they were keep emphasizing these diets with the snacks in between. And I could not understand why do we have to snack two, three times a day? <laughs> Why is not enough to eat two times? Uh, I mean, three times a day is more than enough to eat. And um, in my culture, where I come from uh, in Romania, we had no idea about snacks. I mean, growing up, I had the breakfast, I had lunch, and we had dinner. And nothing in between, you know, no apples, yep. no peanut butter, no, uh, I mean, Probably if we had access to all of this, we would have eaten those. But most of the time, we had no bars, no cereal bars, no, we had fruits. But I never thought about this idea of snacks. And I found it um, extremely um, challenging, I would say, uh, not to tell my kids that there is there are no snacks in between and there is no need for snacks too because they once they went to school they started to ask for snacks yeah and our our body has for anybody that's done intermittent fasting and um, I've shared my weight loss journey a little bit over the last six months. I've lost about 30 pounds. And one of the ways I did it was intermittent. Well, thank you. And one of the ways I did it was through intermittent fasting. And I think one thing I want to make clear is that fasting is different for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm an endurance athlete, so I can't go three or four days without fat for fasting. Now, there are some people that can. I mean, you read about it, you see it. Um, there's, I, I know a doctor that really promotes it and and she'll go two or three days without fasting. Some people think that's dangerous, but our body has a, an ability to produce energy from fat and our reserves. We, we, we are really structured to do that. So in general, that's not dangerous for our, most people. Now, if you are a higher caliber athlete or you're doing a lot of activity, it's going to be very, very difficult or possibly impossible to fast like that. But I will tell you, it's taught me how resilient our body is and how little food we really need, how little ex exogenous fuel we really need. Even being an endurance athlete, you know, on my shorter rides, like an hour, hour and a half long, if they're not super intense, I don't need any fuel. Even on my super Long rides, like three hours, three and a half hours, my wife and I have found out we don't need any fuel at all. Water is just fine Water. if they're low intensity. Now, at higher intensity, you need to start adding some fuel to your to your rides and things. But, um, you know, and it's been an incredible journey for me. And I just learned, just like I said, how resilient the body is. Now, we are having a challenge at, the, at Mosley Professional Pharmacy on fasting in July. So stay tuned for that, listeners and viewers. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. I'm going to share my journey and we're actually going to have a little challenge where we actually check our blood glucoses. I don't know if you know anything about that, Dr. Garnita, but um, there's a little bit of data going on about, you know, if your blood glucose is high, you probably don't need to eat because that's our energy source. So it's not until you get triggered and your blood glucose goes behind below a trigger point. Um, it's something I'm experimenting with. I'm finding some success, um, but it, it, it there's, there's fasting involved in that. So um, I appreciate I appreciate you, you know, educating us on that. Um, speaking of snacks, I want to share a little story, if you don't mind. Please. You know, we, yes, we all get nervous when we travel because we think, oh, you know, if we're, if we're trying to maintain healthy body weight or lose weight, we all get nervous when we travel. And and I am no different. 
So one of the things that, so, and I, and I weigh, I try to weigh every day. I even take a scale with me when I travel to the hotel. One thing that I found out is actually when I travel, just like you're talking about, I eat regular meals. Sometimes I don't eat breakfast, um, but I'll eat like a light lunch and, a, and maybe a bigger dinner. Um, and I find out and I'm like, you know, I'll eat a big dinner and I'm like, man, I am, I am going to be really heavy tomorrow. I'm going to gain weight. But one thing I found out is I usually don't. But at home, if I eat like that, I also start snacking at night after I eat dinner because it's there, right? Well, when you're staying in a hotel, unless you go to a vending machine or whatever, I try to stay away from those. You don't have access to snacks. Very easy. So actually, I think one of just like you're talking about, one of the worst things in our American diet is that we are snacking all the time. We just have an unlimited food source where we can snack between meals. That's probably a problem. Even if, and let's just say this. Yeah, I get it. Maybe you're eating some almonds or you're eating you know, a healthy snack or healthy protein. That's still extra calories. And those extra calories will get packed on as fat, correct? Yes, that's very correct. Everything yeah. you put in your mouth, it's going to translate into something. And um, as you said, um, intermittent fasting is different from from person to person and there are multiple ways to inter to to practice this kind of um, approach however um you have to do it with uh, within your you know tolerance and you have to do it gradually you cannot fast for um uh, 16 hours in the beginning maybe you fast for 12 and then you fast for 14 and then you go further to 18 and later on to 24 uh, but you have to do it slowly to give your body time to adjust. Unfortunately, obesity, you know, as we said, increases the inflammatory markers. And those inflammatory markers or our diseases with high inflammatory markers, they do impact the insulin resistance. It's very well studied. And we know that the more inflammation you have in your body, the more insulin resistance you have and the more glucose is floating through your body. So um, that's something that you have to have in mind when you discuss treatment with patients and you explain them why they need to be treated, why they will benefit from, for, for, from treatment. Right. I, I love it, Dr. Granita. I love how you institute diet and lifestyle modifications in your practice. And I think just as you're saying, it's so important. And unfortunately, I don't think a lot of traditional medical doctors, including rheumatologists, from what I've seen, and I'm not personalizing against them or anything, but they want to prescribe, you know, drugs or whatever right away when a lot of it can be lifestyle, can be changed with lifestyle. So I so appreciate appreciate you educating our listeners and viewers and myself. I've learned a lot today um, on the show. And that reminds me. We are wrapping up. Our uh, time limit is almost up. My producer is telling me. But that's great news because, Dr. Granita, we are going to have you on again and maybe a couple more times because we got some good subjects to talk about. So NSAIDs and cardiovascular health I think are very important, but I know I want to have you on for another topic. And today what I really appreciate is that we got into intermittent fasting. I, I didn't expect to go down, down that track, but I'm so glad that we did because I think that is a very important thing when it comes to inflammation and visceral fat and so on. So Dr. Garnita, which are with our limited time in the last 30 seconds or so that we have, what would you like our 
um, listeners and viewers to know about autoimmune diseases and um, how it affects the heart in 30 seconds? I will uh, tell patients that um, they have to be proactive about uh, their health. They have to take their their health in their hands and um, changing small things in their lifestyle will bring them a huge benefit. On the other hand, I want to let them know that sometimes you need medication and medication is not the enemy, will be your ally in your fight towards autoimmune diseases. In our days, we have so many options that will bring you to a better uh, health and um, you are in charge of that. You can come to us, discuss to us um, about the risk and benefits of certain therapies, but ultimately you are in charge of your health and you should be you know, our partner in your decisions. Uh, the decision should be made with you because it's your life and you are the owner or you're your own body. I love it. Dr. Dr. Garnita, I think you should host the show because this is what we talk about all the time <laughs> is that people need to be proactive in their own health. And you as a doctor and me as a pharmacist can help educate our patients, but ultimately they're in charge. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. So speaking of being in charge, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, um, how should they get a hold of you? I have a website and um, it is called Rheumatologist on Call, or they can Google my name and they will find my website. Um, the website uh, will allow them to book an appointment with me, and I'm more than happy to welcome them into my practice. All right, Dr. Conita, I love it. You have been so um, gracious with your time. I know you're busy, and I really appreciate you coming on to educate and empower our, our viewers, which is the goal of our show, is to educate and empower individuals that they are in charge of their own health, and you definitely accomplish that goal today. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to have you back on. I will uh, get a hold of you so we can schedule some more some more uh, dates. And I really appreciate you being on, Dr. Granita. Thank you so much. And thank listeners you and viewers, you, you're welcome. And listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in Monday. 1230 to 1. So on our our weekly podcast, 1230 to 1, we'll have Charles Foreman on and you don't want to miss that. He's going to talk about uh, health assessments and health in general. So um, don't miss him. He's put me in connection with a lot of good people who one of them I'll be meeting tomorrow in Tucson, Arizona. So thank you so much for that, uh, Charles Foreman. And Tune in Monday, 1230 to 1, where Sean and Janet will talk about health. So, Dr. Gardenita, thank you so much. Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thanks for listening. 